Last week we saw that Jesus ministered in a five-dimensional way as apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher. We went through all those passages. By the way, if you didn't hear uh, the message last weekend, you'll want to listen to it because this is a sequel to it and it builds on top of it. We said that uh, we said these five functions can also be seen in the general human experience. Apostles are people who pioneer, you know, apostolic people pioneer new things in uh, in society. Prophetic type people they have a keen interest in justice and environmental issues. Evangelistic type people are enthused about what they stand for or are selling to others. Shepherd type people they have a special concern for affirming what is human in structures and teachers are are our philosophers and thinkers who understand how ideas shape us. So, when Jesus ascended into heaven, he redeemed and then gave these same five gifts to the church to accomplish even greater things than he had done. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 10, it says, He who descended, that's onto earth, is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things, and he gave, what did he give? The, <clears throat> very good, and the, and the, the, and, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Unfortunately, <clears throat> the Western church has deviated from God's plan using the two-dimensional shepherd-teacher model, while neglecting the expansionist gifts of apostle, prophet, and evangelist. The results are telling. The church turned inward in large measure. And to one degree or level or another, all saints can operate in all five dimensions. You see it on the diagram coming up. All can teach their kids. Would you agree? Would you agree? All can teach their kids. Uh, all can hear God's voice, which we call prophecy and uh, shepherd someone, to share their testimony, and come up with creative ideas to implement. All the way across, you can, uh, you can see that. <clears throat> and when all believers are operating in these five to one degree or another, we can get the most fruit. So much can be accomplished, and there is much to be accomplished. Though, for example, all can teach their children, some will be gifted to a greater degree, so they can teach ministry groups as well. So they go to another uh, level. And some of those ministers, there are, uh, there are a few who God calls <clears throat> and gifts and tests for character in order to take leadership roles in that, partic in that particular specialty. Such will oversee others, selecting, training, empowering, directing, and so on. And finally, we learned that other gifts like tongues, administration, interpretation, help, service, and so on and so forth are like supplementary tools to help the five primary functions, much like a carpenter who draws different tools from his tool belt when building a house. And so what, uh, uh, what does determine then, I mean, if you look at that diagram, there, it looks like you can be all over the map there. What determines where an individual finds themselves uh, playing their part in Christ's kingdom, in the advancement of Christ's kingdom. <clears throat> it's critical that we get this right because there's so much at stake. This week, uh, a retired missionary from another church here in town uh, came to see me. He's in, in his 80s, and he sat across from me, and he looked intensely. He leaned across the table. He looked at me intently, and he said, Ray, 
we don't have much time left. There's a situation that's brewing right now with Loyola Catholic School in Quebec. In 2005, Quebec's Legislative Assembly passed Bill 95, eliminating from school curricula, quote, all provisions of a confessional, that's like a religious, nature, and replacing them with their new compulsory ethics and religious culture, ERC. That meant that a private school could only teach its own curriculum in place of the ERC program with the minister's, Minister of Education's, approval. Loyola Catholic School requested an exemption but was turned down. The RC, ERC program requires Loyola Catholic School to abandon its Catholic viewpoint in the teaching of ethics and religion. So, for example, if a student expressed approval in a, in a classroom, uh, expressed approval for legal pornography or a desire to pursue a career as a pornographer, the Catholic teacher could not criticize that student's position from a Catholic moral position. In other words, our secularized government or in, in, in Quebec, in this particular case, is now saying you are not allowed to teach your morals to, to, to the students, even in your own Catholic schools. In fact, the ERC program requires the teacher to affirm the student's position so long as it's legal. Not only are they not allowed to give uh, uh, the, their moral position, they are to affirm the student in their position. Like I would ever do that. It isn't going to happen. I won't do it. I wouldn't do it, would you? Oh, but it's going to create a, a great deal of trouble. Here's the key issue. Do the Quebec or Canadian charters protect corporate freedom of religion or only individual freedom of religion? Because the Canadian charter, for example, specifically guarantees this freedom to, quote unquote, everyone. While the Quebec charter guarantees it to, and I quote again, every person. So over 250 years, Canadian religious institutions have been protected, but this will now be tested because they're trying to use that as a loophole. They're saying, see, there's religious freedom for the individual, but there's not religious freedom for the, the corporate group when it gathers. You see where that's going? <clears throat> and so uh, uh, this, is, uh, this is a critical thing that's coming up. This will now be tested beginning tomorrow, March 24th, Monday, tomorrow, when the Supreme Court of Canada will hear the case, form a tentative decision, followed up in right, with a written uh, response in a few months from now. We need to pray about this, and we will be praying about it this Tuesday at our prayer summit. What's this Tuesday? Prayer summit. We're going to be praying about this issue at our prayer summit. We need as many renewed laborers and Christians and believers engaged in, the last, in this last day's struggle and harvest before Jesus comes. But at the same time, we need them in the right place. You can't just have people signing up and just scatter them wherever and just say, do whatever. Whatever you, uh, your hand finds to do, there has to be a proper way in which to engage as many people in the places where God has placed them. He's designed us all differently and uh, wants us in, in the right place. 
For example, in conventional warfare, you won't do well if you place foot soldiers in fighter jets. Would you agree with that? Huh? It's going to be problematic. And pilots, you don't put them into sailor roles and sailors in ground combat. So what does this determine <clears throat> uh, our place in ministry? What determines our place in the, in the struggle ahead? The first, there's three things. The first one is calling. Every saint has a general calling. If you're a parent, you're called to bring up your children in teaching instruction of the Lord. Would you agree with that? Yes. Do you need to shepherd those little ones? How about evangelize them? And you see, you, see, you see it going across the screen there. How about listen in prayer, prophecy, and pray for them? Should you do that? And how about come up with creative ways to establish positive child-parent relationships? You see, every parent has the ability to work in all five of those particular areas. If you're married, you're called to love and minister to your spouse. And we're, and we're all called to love our neighbor as ourselves, our co-workers, our neighbors, our employers, employees, clients, extended families, friends, and so on and so forth. <clears throat> Here's another calling to all believers. 1 Corinthians 12 says, Now to each one, how many? Each one. The manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good, which in, in the context there, he's talking about the church. Each one of us has been given a measure of grace or a gift or gifts for the common good, for the use of the church. Each one. Most of us are familiar with the following verse. In 1 Corinthians 12, 21, it says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Have you heard? We all know that passage, right? You can't say, I don't need you. So turn to someone next to you and say, I can't say to you, I don't need you. That's what scripture says. But here's the flip side of I don't need you. Verse 16 says this, and this is the one that isn't known as well. Everybody knows that one, but not as many are aware of this one. It says, if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That's the flip side of it. That's the equivalent of saying, you can't have me. So on the one hand, we're not to say, I don't need you, because we do need each other. Would you agree with that? But on the flip side of this coin, neither can we say, but you can't have me. That's the flip side of the coin. If you attend Southland, you're going to get lots. You're going to receive lots. Would you agree with that? Let's, let's just go down the list just a wee bit, very quickly. Teaching. Man, some of those guys can teach. <laughs> Help and ministry for your children and youth. Would you agree with that? We got the finest youth leaders anywhere, in my opinion. And by the way, if you're from another church, we love you too. But we're just excited about some of the people in our church. Find freedom, be encouraged, blessed, help through difficult times. Thank you so much. Prayer, do we receive prayer? Prophecy, people are led to Jesus. Wonderful music like we just heard, love, and on and on. We receive a banquet when we come to this church, right? I mean, I, I'm so excited. I, I'm going to be gone next weekend. I'm going to be in Edmonton. And I love those guys there. It's one of my church renewal guys in Edmonton. There's three of them now. There's a fourth one signing on. Can you believe it? 
And I love those guys. I, I'm serious when I say that. But I can't hardly wait to get back to you. Because I get so much when I'm over here. Uh, I really do. And, but if you receive so much, how can you withhold yourself with integrity? Would you agree with that? I understand seasons in life. There are seasons in life. Sickness, tragedy, seven kids under five. <laughs> That's a problem. A challenge. Just got to Southland and you need time to either mend or understand us. I get that. You'll have to just let us love on you and we want to do that, don't we, church? Do we want to love on others, yes or no? Oh, yeah, we do. But aside from those, those caveats there, see what Scripture says, Matthew 10. Jesus said, freely you have received, freely... Ha-ha. He doesn't say... He, he says, I don't want a church of receivers. I mean, the Canadian church is filled with people who just go and say, feed me, and they're like little baby birds that just open their mouth, mouths. But they don't want to give anything back. Now, listen to me. Even when you're laid up, maybe you're sick and that kind of stuff, and you can't, be in, you can't, be, you can't do this and you can't do that and everything, do you know there's something else when you're old and, and you're in a personal care home or whatever, do you know what you still can do? What? Ah, what a good answer. That's incredible. You can still pray. You can pray for hours, and prayer accomplishes great things. Would you agree? We don't just receive, we... We give, exactly, church. Everyone, each one. Too many people in churches receive, uh, freely receive, but don't contribute. Perhaps you've come to Southland and you just don't feel at home. Have you ever felt like that? You just don't feel at home. Well, there's a wise woman that has attended our church and is a member of our church, contributes a lot, and has uh, been here for many years. Her name is Matilda Fair, and this is what she said. Quote, when you move into a new house, it won't feel like home until you unpack your boxes. Did you get that? For some people, it's time. You need to unpack your boxes. You won't feel at home till you unpack. You say, well, there's so many people. Guess what? You're just getting ready for heaven. <laughs> this is just practice. You think this is a lot of people? <laughs> This is a cell in heaven. <laughs> Would you agree? Wow. You say, I don't know where I fit. Well, then pray and make yourself available. That's what I talked about at, uh, uh, at the Marketplace Leaders. We, we prayed about it, and I said, I said, guys, if you don't know where you fit with the church, whether it's in, on the inside or on the outside, the expansionist gifts, then that ought to be your number one prayer priority. Number one. You should be praying that every day. I'll show you how significant it is when you're involved. For, uh, uh, for example, this is just an example. It works in many, many ways. Children's ministry has shepherd-type people who oversee a table of kids, tables of kids. Okay, children. If you take a table, you may free someone to do what God called them to do. Let's say it was writing. And by the way, did you know that in our children's ministry, we have a team of 10 curricula writers. They write all our curriculum. Is that amazing? 
And they take all the teaching that they hear here and they turn it into lessons for the kids at their level. They do that in the youth too. Is that amazing? Uh, it's just absolutely amazing. And, um, but if we didn't have great people stepping up to shepherd the kids, the writers would probably have to step down to fill those spots. Does that make sense? We'd be left with a poor quality of curricula that wouldn't have as much spiritual impact on the, on the children. Remember the last two weeks? Those last two weeks, the testimonies have really been about the kids, haven't they? It's absolutely incredible the impact on our kids that renewal in this church is having on our kids. They're living what we're teaching. I'm just, uh, I'm just thrilled to death about it. And we plan to make this curriculum available to church renewal churches as well. One person can have a huge impact not only in filling that spot, but in springing others free to fill other impacting uh, roles. In other words, you say, well, if I just take a table of kids and shepherd the kids, that's not such a big, I'm not making a very big contribution. Oh, yeah? You're not just adding that little piece, you're springing the next person free so that they can do what God called them to do, which may be something that very few people can do. Because he doesn't call us all to be writers. Would you agree with that? He doesn't call very many to be writers and songwriters and lesson writers and everything. Also, the more we band together, we can do exponentially more. In other words, we're not just adding impact, we're, in, we're multiplying it. Compare 17 churches of 200. 17 times 200 is how much? 3,500. Okay, so if you had 17 churches of 200 and one church 3,500, uh, I want you to follow something. And just in case you think now that I'm against little churches, just remember this. I planted a church that had eight people total and half of them were under five. <laughs> okay, I probably have pastored the smallest church in Canada. Okay, so don't tell me that I'm against little churches because I'm not going to hear of it. Uh, and when I started here, we had 150. And uh, we didn't want the rest of you to come, but <laughs> you just wouldn't go home. <laughs> so we just built a bigger home. You know that's not true. We love you to death. But anyway, one church of 3,500 will need one pastor using up, 20, uh, let's say, 20 hours a week for uh, sermon prep, okay? Let's pretend that's what it is. That's roughly what it is, okay? That's how many hours then? That's 20 hours per week, right? 17 churches of 200 will need 17 pastors using up 20 hours per week. That's 340 hours. That means that every week, just in that one area alone, the principle of synergy gives us 320 paid staff hours every week that the other 17 churches don't have. That's an equivalent of eight full-time staff every week. That's a lot of work, would you agree? And so we're able to do all kinds of th other things and run a massive camp and go into church renewal and do toop and dining, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We can do lots because of the principle of synergy, multiplication. It took me 26 years to figure out how to bring ongoing renewal to the DNA of a church and form tools and strategies to do it and come up with these eight renewal core practices. And just... 
uh, a few years now, I'm able, like in one year, I'm able to train many pastors to do the same thing. It only takes about three years, and they can be doing the same thing that we're doing here. What took a long time, we can multiply into many in a short time. Think about that. I mean, it took us many years to get a prayer summit going that was running 11, 1,200. In one year, after 14 churches got involved in church renewal, we doubled it to 2,200. Is that amazing? That's called multiplication. And it only works when everybody gets in the game. And every time somebody steps up, it frees somebody else. The reason, you know how much time I'm spending right now on church renewal? About 75% of my time. The only reason I'm able to spend that amount of time this year is because there's other staff that have come up and they're carrying big, bigger burdens, and the reason they can do it is because a whole bunch of you came and helped carry their burden that they used to do. Do you see that? You are doing way more than you think. That is amazing. Say, that's amazing. That's multiplication. But imagine if half of you, let's say about 700, 800 volunteers, suddenly resigned. Like today, you just all got up and resigned. Seven to 800 of you, half of us. Uh, half the volunteer uh, force we have. We'd have to cut out, I, I thought about this, we'd have to cut out all church renewal, all Tupandani, all Four Winds, all s school ministers, all camp, all of them. <sighs> Do you see what you're doing? It's incredible. Attendance, even attendance. You say, well, it, it doesn't matter whether I come or not to a prayer summit. You know, people think it's just about the prayers you pray that day. It's, it's about far more than just the pray, prayers you pray at that prayer summit. Think about this. This Tuesday, seven denominational leaders are going to be here and three pastors, all from the same de denomination, 256 churches, the president of the denomination, three of his district supervisors, DS's and uh, some other and his whole executive team plus three pastors they're going to be here all day they want to learn about what's happening here at Southland they're flying in from different provinces in the evening they're going to attend the prayer summit you know why they want to see if it's true they can tell just by coming to the prayer summit if whatever we say during the day if it happens in the evening so they're going to come and see if you actually show up to pray. Now, I'm not losing a wink of sleep over it. You know why? Because you all came out in that last person, uh, that, that snowstorm we had at the end of January. Remember that? All the highways closed, and it was storming like crazy. I thought maybe 25 might show up, and we'd have a little kumbaya session. And seven or eight, you know, 700 people showed up to pray and others were phoning and texting and emailing us and saying, oh, we can't get out of our driveways. It was that bad. Those pastors went away totally impressed and guess what? More of them started prayer summits because of that. Now, if you, if 25 or 50 or 100 or 300 show up on this Tuesday night, do you think that that denomination is going to get any prayer summits going? Yes or no? Yes or no? No. No, they won't. But if this place is packed, and when I say, okay, it's time for you to just spread out to all the people there, and they're going to pray over you, and we don't have specialists and professionals doing it, 
and the power of God works through you like a 60, like some 16-year-old girls prayed for some of the senior pastors from Edmonton, and they were so blown away by what the Holy Spirit revealed about them that those 16-year-old girls could not possibly have known. They came to us and reported and said, we've never experienced anything like it. One pastor, Church of a Thousand, said the single most important decision we have ever made as a leadership team was to come to Southland. <laughs> Do you think they came here to see me? Huh? Uh, no. No. I'm, I'm good luck at <laughs> but you also notice I wear glasses. <laughs> no, they came to see if it's true. They came to see you and experience you, and they told their denominational leaders, that's another denomination, they said, that's the sick. I was present when they said it, and I was embarrassed for them saying that. Single most important decision they had ever made as a leadership team. And guess what? They've already sent about, let me see, 25 people here. They've flown them in. They're sending another 16 youth leaders for, May, for the May uh, Church Renewal Weekend. Is that incredible? It makes a difference. So if you pack this place and you pray over and let the Holy Spirit work through you, that could be exactly what changes everything. And that is multiplication. Not just your prayers, but now theirs too. Every time you minister, give, or attend, you aren't just adding, you're making it possible for us to multiply. And that's why I'm so excited on members, Membership Sundays when everybody lines up way across this stage. And I look at it and I don't say, I wonder, uh, I, I don't see them adding to our church. I see them multiplying to our church. Not only are there general calls of God to minister in and through the body, often there are specific ones as well. After spending all night in prayer, Jesus chose 12. Later, he also appointed 72 others. Yet when the former demoniac offered to follow Jesus, Jesus told him to go back home and tell them the great things that God had done for him. God determines our place. And some he wants here, and some he wants at home, and some he wants there. He determines it, and he figures it all out. He's very good at it. I'm thinking about Fran and her uh, and a call she had September 2001. I needed a cell pastor, and uh, our 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 cells had really grown. We didn't have a cell pastor. I asked six other couples, and they didn't sense that God was leading them. I was praying and praying about it. And I said, God, it's September. We are in huge need. We need we need help. And uh, I I just uh, I just didn't know what to do. Fran, who was working at a job she loved, was reading the following in Scripture in her devotion time when the Holy Spirit spoke clearly to her and called her. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 8 to 10. But as for you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, my chosen one, Senator from Abram, my friend, I have called you back from the ends of the earth, like Ontario, saying, you are my servant, for I've chosen you and will not throw you away. Don't be afraid, for I'm with you. Don't be discouraged, for I'm your God. I will strengthen you and help you. God so grabbed her heart when she read that passage. She walked up to me. She said, honey, I, I'm willing to help. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, if you think that I could do that job, I'd be willing to, 
leave the job that I really love, and I'd be willing to do that job. I was shocked. I was actually shocked. Um, that just wasn't Fran, and I knew then that God had called her. Listen, as you pursue God in prayer, he may call you to a specific place of ministry through a variety of ways. It could be a recurring thought. It could be desire. It could be a dream, a vision, a call from a church leader, a comment from a friend, a speaker. There's many ways that God calls and speaks to us about where he wants to position us. And it's not always in the same place, and it may be for a season, and then he moves us to another spot. But God doesn't call people to greater levels of ministry responsibility without confirming it to the body. Why is that? Because the greater the sphere of ministry, and you see it on the diagram coming up, the greater the sphere of ministry influence, the more potential that person has for incredible good or incredible... bad or harm. Isn't it true? I could do a lot of damage to this church. Would you agree? <laughs> do you think Chris could do a lot of damage here? Oh, yeah. He could do a lot of damage here. Uh, the, the greater the sphere of influence, the more potential for good or for bad. And that's why the church has a stake in it. And God makes sure of it. And people can't just come up and claim that God has called them to be something. Do you know that I actually have read of churches where somebody has come to the church and said, God called me to be your pastor, and they let go of the other guy and put that guy in? That's insane. Can you say insane? He actually talks to the church. It's not good enough. When God confirmed it, um, uh, for example, Paul was called of Jesus to be an apostle. Right? In Acts chapter 9, you know, the brilliant light, and God called him to be an apostle to the Gentiles. That's in chapter 9. In chapter 13, look what it says. While they, the church, were worshiping the Lord and fasting, it was probably a prayer summit, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, another name, Paul, for the work to which I have called them. This is a protection for the church so that wolves, emotionally weak and carnal people, can't hijack the church by claiming to be called by God. Isn't that a great system he has? Church? It is. I'm thinking about uh, uh, Dan Hungerford. You know Dan Hungerford. You know, he, he's our youth guy, right? And uh, we were praying about a youth guy, and, and, and Donnie was taking on more and different responsibilities and stuff. And uh, when I offered the position to Dan Hungerford, he wanted to listen in prayer right there. And uh, so he said, uh, so uh, can we bow our heads uh, right now? <laughs> you, you know Dan, right? <laughs> I said, sure. <laughs> and... Uh, so he wanted to listen to prayer right there in the office. And so I said, okay. And uh, so I closed my eyes and I was listening. He was busy listening. And, uh, and uh, I wasn't getting a thing. I mean, zero, nothing, not a thing. Finally, I, I just watched him. I watched him the rest of the time. He's writing and he's busy. Finally, he asked, uh, uh, what did the Lord show you? And... Uh, <laughs> Nothing, I replied. He already spoke to me earlier, and that's why you're in my office. <laughs> God said, why are you asking me? I told you already. So I asked him, I said, did the Lord reveal anything to you? 
He said, I got a picture. Another and this is another example of a call. And he said, of a battleship that was in the middle of a fierce battle, guns were firing, noise, mayhem everywhere. And then he said, I, uh, speaking of Dan, was a sailor on the ship, and you, Pastor Ray, he said, were the commander. You were on the deck. You saw me and ordered, soldier, go over there and man that battle station. And that was the end of the picture. So I looked at Dan and I asked, so what does that picture mean to you? I think he wants me to do it. <laughs> I said, so do I. <laughs> See, God calls him, but he understood the principle. Is God speaking to you, the church, as well? And the answer was yes. One more thing. Who in the church receives vision from the Holy Spirit? God God gives vision to a person within the boundaries of his or her calling. The Apostle Paul was traveling with his ministry team through Asia Minor, you'll recall. Being led by the Holy Spirit not to go to the province of Asia nor Bithynia, they ended up in Troas and see what happens next. Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Acts 16. Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia and what's the word? Concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel <clears throat> to them. The Holy Spirit gave the vision to Paul, whom he called to go to the Gentiles. But the team Paul assembled discerned whether it was a true vision. Oh, I like that. I like that. God gives me, as a leader here, overall vision for Southland. No question. He's given me much vision for this church. It's not my vision, it's his. But why does he do that? Because he called me to, made me responsible for, and will hold me accountable for Southland on Judgment Day. That is a sobering thought, and you have no idea how many times I think that thought. That I will stand accountable for the direction of this church. He won't give someone else vision for something he'll hold me accountable for. That would be foolish. It would be stupid. It doesn't work like that. He didn't say, you have vision for Ray and Ray carries it out. That's crazy. He doesn't give me vision for you, and he doesn't give you vision for me. He gives us vision for our area of responsibility and calling, and he will hold us accountable for it. <clears throat> The Holy Spirit has given much vision for Southland over the years, and the senior staff and board have discerned if it was indeed God's vision. I would come to them and I'd say, I, I, I sense that God is leading us to do, and then I'd say what it was. <clears throat> but God doesn't give all vision for Southland to me. Now that's interesting. You say, wait a minute, I just thought you said he did. No, overall di direction he gives to me, and I'll, sh I'll, I'll show you how it works just the overall directional vision for which he will hold me accountable. He gives ministers, remember that triangle again, you know, the, 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 and here we got the circle. He gives ministers vision for the ministry to which they've been called and appointed, given responsibility for, and for which they will give account. So it's a vision within the vision. Do you see it on the, on the screen there? So he gives me that outward kind of vision. Then the ministers have vision within that. Let me show you how it works. So for example, 2004, God gave me a vision for a camp for two years. 
I would pray and I would talk to the children's ministry. It was uh, Miranda Dimitrov at the time who was overseeing our children's ministry. And I would meet with her and I'd say, God is calling us to start a camp. It took two years, 2006, we finally started it. 2012, <clears throat> Link Wallace comes and he starts praying about the camp and he oversees the camp now. And then he comes with all kinds of vision for the camp. God never gave me that kind of vision. He just said, start a camp and get a guy for that. So we did. And then God gave vision for him. And that vision has to fit within the overall vision of the church. And so Link comes and sits down with me and he explains all the things that we're going to do that fit with our vision and the renewal principles and all that kind of stuff and what they want to do and how they want to help start a team that will help other church renewal churches start camps and all that kind of stuff. 2006, God gave me a vision for work in Uganda. But 2010, God gave Joel Waldner a five-year farm sustainability vision for BBT in Uganda, which just was finished. Incredible, wasn't it? He wouldn't give me a vision like that. What do I know about farm machinery? <clears throat> Hoppers. Tractors. What? <laughs> no, he doesn't give me a vision. He wants the thing to work. 2008, Chris Puyat spoke to me. He came into my office. I, he said, Pastor Ray, I've got something I want to share about children's ministry uh, to take kids even deeper. And, and he shared with me the vision of what he wanted to do with kids, not just on the Sundays, but then take them a separate evening in the week and take them even deeper and train them in the things that adults were doing. And I went, wow. And he called it D6, which became the forerunner of deeper ministries. Oh, what an amazing vision. 2009, God woke me in the night and gave me a vision for making end times a core value in our church. It was at 2.30 in the morning on a Sunday morning. But God gave Chris great vision and insight into how to understand it, and he turned it into a successful seminar, and they're running right now. They had over 600 people in the auditorium taking that, this fantastic seminar. Isn't that amazing? Wow, vision within vision. And just like the leader's vision has to be discerned by the team, so too the minister's vision has to be within the parameters of and align with the vision given to the leader. <clears throat> the same exact principles are true with volunteers and saints. He can give you vision for how to raise your children and lead your family. He did with Manoah and, and his wife, who were the parents of Samson. He can give you vision for leading your cell or, or some other volunteer ministry. He can give you vision for using your business for kingdom work. This is a big deal because it means that the church can receive much vision from the Holy Spirit and yet not be vulnerable to deception. It's a protection for the body. Do you see that? See, see we're going to need everybody in the game in these last days. Would you agree? But here's the problem. The minute you sign up everybody you also take in people that are moving into the wrong spots. And they have the potential to explode the church. So what else determines our place in ministry? Not just calling, but number two, gifting. When God calls us, he also gifts us. There are three important points we need to consider in this. First, calling initially determines what a person is to do, not gifting. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul said, all these gifts are the work of the one and same spirit. He distributes them to each one as he determines. Many assume the Holy Spirit only gives us gifts at the point of our salvation. But not only does it not say that, 
Paul actually said and told believers in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, eagerly, what's the word? Desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. If it isn't possible to receive different gifts later on, Paul couldn't have told them to desire other gifts. Would you agree with that? That would be tantamount to telling us to, have co uh, to, uh, to commit uh, covetousness, desiring what you cannot have. You have this, you can't have that, but desire it. <laughs> we can receive gifts through a prophetic message and laying on of hands. In 1 Timothy, Paul said to Timothy, Do not neglect your gift which was given to you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. I've laid hands on and prophetically prayed for spiritual gifts over most of my senior level staff. And look at them. They're amazing. We don't import people here. We grow them right here. Amen? And then, we, and then when, when they don't have what it takes and we know God's calling them, then we say, you're going to need prayer. Amen? You're going to need prayer. And we lay hands on them and we ask, oh, Spirit of God, this is what we need. And, we, and, and, and that's what we do. I, we actually do that here. <clears throat> 2000, um, uh, but you can also receive these gifts in answer to prayer. 1 Corinthians 14, 13, for this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should, what's the word? Pray that he may interpret what he says. You know that uh, my wife, Fran, her gift mix has changed in a number of areas, but I'll just I'll give you an example in one. When I started at uh, Southland, I wanted her to minister to women. This was 1996, and I said, honey, you got to look after the women. And she said, no way. <laughs> she said, I don't have a foggy clue how to do that. That's not my thing. That's not how I'm made. I'm not, I'm not doing a ladies' ministry. I think I convinced her to do one. And it was so bad, I just said, I get it. Um, <laughs> don't do it. But in May 2004, the Lord called Fran and I to hand over the mixed cell that I was leading so I could start a marketplace leader cell and she a cell for women. Here was the problem. She was very gifted administratively and felt awkward in shepherding and teaching a cell. She was very stressed out by it. I kid you not. I heard about it a lot. She prayed about it, and one day in her devotions, the Holy Spirit spoke to her through Jeremiah's story of the potter remaking the marred jar. And here's what it said. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands, so the potter formed it into another pot. And the Holy Spirit just grabbed that passage and, uh, and placed it on her heart. And he, she knew he was talking to him. Shaping it as seemed best to him. He remade and retooled and regifted her that day. And the result is that the, the little handful of women grew to become a group of 50 to 60 today. And she loves them. Here's the second thing. While gifting comes from God, equipping comes from the church. As with calling, gifting is not something done apart from the body. Some claim that because they have been gifted, they don't need any further training or equipping in their gifts, so they resist it. That is not the way the Spirit designed it, and that's where countless numbers of churches in the West are blowing it. People come into the churches and say, well, I'm gifted in this, I'm gifted in that, and, and so you can't, you can't equip me. No, that's not how God did it. God gives you and I 
an initial raw gift, but then we have to steward it through training and being equipped. He did it so that we would link with the body, with the church, and not just go and do it ourselves. So uh, that's how the Holy Spirit works. As we already saw in Ephesians 4, God gives the gifts in varying measure so that we can all be equipped in them by others in the church. You get the initial raw gift, and then you have to steward it through being equipped. Ephesians 4 says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers to do what, church? Very good. Now just say it with a little more confidence. To equip the saints. Very good. For the work of ministry. This is a brilliant strategy of the Holy Spirit. He knew we were prone to pride and foolishness and an independent spirit. So he designed it that we'd need the body for maximum use of our gifts. Listen to me. If this wasn't true, then why would I be mentoring pastors today? I mean, they're called aren't they? They're gifted to do what they're doing. Wouldn't you agree with that? Some of them are leading churches of a thousand. They have to have some gifts to do that. Wouldn't you agree? So why then would I be mentoring them if they didn't need further equipping? I need equipping and training. They need uh, equipping and training. And if the leaders in our churches need it, don't you think we all need it? Yes or no? Yeah. But some think they are above that. If it is true, um, and third, our gifts are to be submitted to the church. 1 Corinthians 14, 32 says, the spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. We've had prophetic people come to us over the years who didn't want to be equipped or subject to the church through a prophetic leader of grace fast. All our spiritual gifts are to be subject to the control of the church. This is a protection for the church to keep everyone aligned. You know what? This is a sad, sad story. Would you agree that for the days that we're facing, we're going to need all the power of the Holy Spirit, all of the Holy Spirit we can possibly get, and his gifts, yes or no? <laughs> we're going to need it. Are we a match in the natural for the enemy? Yes or no? Not a chance. But the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit, his gifts, we can do that. But here's the problem. Many churches have have ignored the proper structures and processes that the scriptures have put in place, and they've allowed people just to do whatever they're doing, and so instead of it being a powerful church going on, it's exploded. Countless church, churches have split over these issues because they didn't get it. What we're talking about today, countless churches have split. When churches split, are we salt in the community? Yes or no? No, we're terrible. Instead of doing what we were called to do, we, we become a stumbling block. And it's simply because we didn't follow the processes and structures that Scripture had for us. So I had a pastor, large church in Canada, very influential. And year, uh, some years ago, he said to me, he said, Ray, I've listened to your story. I can't believe that you led your church into the gifts of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit and all that, and your church didn't split. He said, I could list you such a large list that have blown up in the region where I am when they did that. And he said, I haven't led my church into it for fear of, what, of that happening because of what I've seen. 
See, there has to be, we have to be very, very careful with this. And, uh, and so we train and equip our people in spiritual gifts like the prophetic, and uh, like those kind of gifts, but many other ones. And then they remain subject under the direction of, of the leader. Last year, for example, in the prophetic ministry alone, the team of 41 trained prophets ministered to over 500 people here at church. In fact, all my marketplace leaders wanted prophetic ministry. Can you believe marketplace leaders would want that? I had my highest attendances for those two weeks. As soon as the prophetic people left and they were left with me, some of them didn't come back. It's amazing. And, uh, and they're training more and we'll be at about 60 by the end of this year. The third thing we need, not just calling, not just gifting, but character, and this is the final one. First, we saw that both aspects of the calling condition, God and church, must be satisfied in order for someone to serve in a minister or leadership capacity. Second, we saw that both aspects of the gifting condition, God and church, again, God calls or gives gifts, but the church equips them, must be satisfied in order for someone to serve in a minister or leadership capacity. And there is a third thing that determines our ministry place, and that is character. If a person's character doesn't match up, listen to carefully what I'm going to say now, to what it needs to be, neither calling nor gifting can trump it. A person comes to you and says, God called me and I am super gifted in this. And even if you know the call is true, and even if you can see a demonstration of that gift and it is actual, if their character stinks, they can't operate in it. And God made that a rule in the church because otherwise they blow up the church. First Timothy Paul said to Timothy about the church, he said, now the overseer, for example, must be above, and he said this about deacons too. We'll talk about that in a couple of months, who the elders and the deacons are. But that's another service. Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospital, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not gentle, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, must manage his own uh, family well, his children must obey, and uh, on and on, he lists character traits. That's what that is. That's what that passage is. And he said, if they don't go by those characters, if they don't have that kind of character, neither should they be in those positions. And guess who tests for character? The church. Many called and gifted believers want to simply connect and answer directly to Jesus. But Jesus will have none of it. He won't allow us to circumvent the church, will he? He is the head of the church, and he works through his church. He does not just work directly with individuals. Wow. Two ways we test at Southland, by observing a person in a smaller role. And we do test. <laughs> we do. In fact, if character issues come up, we address it. And if we can't make progress, we have demoted people because of damage that they can do because of character. Because char a lack of character can hurt other people. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah. 
In fact, I removed a staff person years ago who, despite warnings, taught directly against the teachings of this church in his cell. I'm not talking about a minor variance or something. I'm talking about where an entire series was teaching the church one way, and he went in the cell and very intentionally taught the exact opposite. I warned him for three months, and finally I said, that's, that's it. We have to have, we have to follow the processes and structure that the scripture outlines if we're going to make it in the days to come. Would you agree with that, church? There has to be order. And it's not just me and God for calling, gifting, and character. No, no. It's me, the church, and God. And God uses the church for that. When we think we have a good person, this is the second way we do it. <laughs> we pass the name by all staff in case they know something we don't know. You don't know that, but in every position that happens here at Southland, your name got vetted in front of the entire staff before you were chosen. You say, are you serious? Yes. And that we do to protect the integrity of this church. Amen? Would you agree with that? And Christ's name. So, the time is incredibly short. Uh, but, uh, it's very, very short. The darkness before the dawn approaches and we have labor shortages. Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Everything we do at Southland is designed to grow, your, grow you in your character, to equip you in your giftings, and then to release you into your calling. Everything we do is intentionally designed for that. Now you need to pray, Lord, what do you want me to do? And we as a body, and we'll do it again on Tuesday at the prayer summit, need to pray, Lord, give us more such laborers. Lord, we commit your word, and we pledge to respond to your word. We pledge our allegiance to you, and we say we will not withhold from your body of believers so that your church can advance in these last days. For it's in Christ's name we pray. And everybody agreed by saying, Amen.